Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the righteous and ribald Brent. (laughs) I like that. I like the first one the best. You better. And it's true. That's why I said it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, on point for this podcast, actually. I don't know what the second one means. Referring to sexual matters in an amusingly coarse or irreverent way. So I definitely think that's what I do daily. uh, So definitely Brent is definitely a body man. (laughs) Yeah. You know, actually, I was thinking, too, when we were looking at this and I was we were both writing this um, episode. You know, we don't really normally discuss our personal political beliefs on here, though. I'm sure Listeners kind of got, you know, an idea where we thought about the current administration during our Russia investigation, but we're not, we're not a voter. Yeah, maybe about a little it. bit. Yeah, just slightly. But, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I was thinking I have decided that I, I am now currently a Domus Alba Vacantis. Ooh, so, what is yeah, that? A, well, a Doma Alba is a Latin, which means White House. So, oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get it. So the White you, House Translate. is currently vacant. Yes. So anyway, what, See, what is the hot? I is, think I. What are you? I, I have to disagree with you on this. I think <laughs> I'm going to be a Domus Alba privationist. Oh, because um, I believe yes, Donald Trump is. He is. I think formally a president, but not true. materially a president. That's I can't remember true. if I'm getting those. Yeah, he's mixed yep. up or not, but. We'll clear that up later <laughs> in the episode when we get to the fun world of SETI privationism. Yes. But until now, you'll have to just wait patiently for that dose of information to come your way. Right. And I don't know what the holiday is today. Do we care? <laughs> um, you know what holiday it is? Speaking of our either half or non-president, it's the three-year anniversary of his presidency. I guess this is be- so because 2016, so 20, so yeah. So it's been two full years of president or half president or non-president Donald J. Trump. Yep. So that's something that's quite a holiday. It's something. (laughs) Uh, So that will be the day before you beautiful listeners actually hear this episode. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you can enjoy it. You know, I I know today as we're recording, you're, you know, jumping for joy and celebrating that anniversary in all sorts of fun and beautiful ways. Yes. And what are we covering today? So today we're continuing our series on Sede Vacantism. This will be part three. We're going to be covering some folks who had a falling out of sorts with uh, Marcel Lefebvre, who is the head of the Society for St. Pius X, mm-hmm. and we'll be discussing their formation of the Society for St. Pius V. Oh. So they're going even further back yeah, into the tradition yeah. than even Lefebvre would himself. Nice. And then we're going to talk later on about the SSPV, as we'll call it, themselves falling apart over what has become known as the Took Consecrations. And that's Archbishop Pierre-Martin Gnaud Deng Took. And he consecrated a bunch of folks. People in the SSPV disagreed over how, whether or not those were valid, but we'll get into all of that. And so that's kind of what we're covering today. We're kind of covering the real transition from the SSPX to full-blown, very explicit Sede Vacantism. So how did this split start? So it started on March 25th, 1983, when nine priests wrote an open letter to Lefebvre and the general council of the SSPX in the Roman Catholic magazine, and they made six demands in this letter. So Roman Catholic magazine was really fun when they did the body issue like the SPN did. So oh, that's I, when they were oh, all yeah, that's, nude. I think all they the have the same. I think they have the same editors. Oh, yeah, I think so. 
but I don't think ESPN <laughs> magazine had a blood issue. So that's kind of no. where that's where we've seen the differences between the editors. So that what were these gross. demands? Also, it should be known that these nine priests, they keep being referred to as, quote, the nine. <laughs> and every time you see it, especially when you read the writings from one of the nine priests themselves, they say, oh, we were called the nine. But I think they called themselves that. I think they gave themselves this cool kind of nickname. I don't think anyone independently called them mm-hmm. that. I think, you know. <laughs> so I just wanted to let our listeners know that the the nine um, apparently something others called them. So these demands were as follows. First, the exclusion of priests doubtfully ordained, schismatic priests, and priests of, quote, doubtful moral character, who I assume they're talking about Freemasons here. Yeah, obviously. Those Freemason priests. The restoration of the liturgy of St. Pius X, especially in the seminary, the American seminary, the St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary in Ridgefield, New York. Mm. No more creating untitled and unattached priests, which means really Lefebvre apparently had a habit of dismissing priests (laughs) or threatening to dismiss them. Denial that SSPX has magisterial authority, which you'll often hear this word in Catholic circles, the magisterium which is the notion that the Catholic Church as a whole has the authority to teach about theology and Christian doctrine, and it all kind of goes back to them. Right. And the Nine worried that Lefebvre and SSPX's leadership were kind of taking on this authority Mm -hmm. to say what was true and false in terms of Catholic doctrine. Next is loyalty to the Church and its traditions— and that loyalty being superior to loyalty to SSPX. Again, the nine thought they were taking loyalty, which they didn't deserve. <laughs> and lastly, the presumption of the invalidity of marriage annulments of the conciliar church, as they call it. Again, that's another insult about the Novus Ordo or the new Catholic church or whatever you want to call the post Vatican II Catholic church. <laughs> and this was an issue where I, I'm not sure if it started with Vatican II, but marriage annulments became more popular and apparently easier to get, where one thing I learned about marriage annulments is that it's a declaration that the marriage never happened in the first place. <laughs> so you get married in a Catholic church, but it turns out, you know, you've blackmailed your spouse to get married. And so then one of the conditions for being married isn't meant. You got to you know freely get into it. And then, oh, it turns out you were never really married. Because all these conditions have to apply. And the nine were upset that Lefebvre in particular was a little cavalier about just accepting these new marriage annulments. Mm. All right. So the nine, they release this open letter. They make these demands. What's Lefebvre's response? Well, a month later, he expelled four of these priests. (laughs) So it's fair to say he was not convinced. (laughs) So in particular... From April 24th, which is my birthday, by the way, and this is three years before I was born, so that's fun. From April 24th through the 26th in 1983, Lefebvre visited the St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary, which was one of the places where the nine were based. Mm -hmm. And he publicly denounced Father Sanborn in a series of lectures and, quote, the rest of us and laid down the party line. Oh, God, that must have been really awkward. Awkward, awkward, especially because at the time, Father Sanborn was the, I believe, rector for the Mm. St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary. And then after all of these lectures, Lefebvre removed Father Sanborn from his post and replaced him with Father Williamson, who, if you remember from last episode, was one of his controversial Econ consecrations. 
So I believe in 88, he later consecrated Father Williamson. Yeah, Father Sanborn then became a free father agent. So this is going to be a very clearly a a very sports heavy podcast today since it's football Sunday. Oh, it is football Sunday. You know, (laughs) this is the first time my dad is going to be proud of this podcast. He's finally getting some (laughs) getting some sports in here. Yeah, I remember the first time my dad met our filmmaker friend. Oh, yeah. And my dad said to him, he said, do you watch? Do you watch football? And our friend was like, oh, no, I don't. And then pointing at me, my dad was like, oh, just like him. You know, so just like, definitely. Finally, we're getting some football references in here. So he'll be very proud. So then three of the other members of the nine, Dolan, Sanborn and Chicada, insisted on a meeting with Lefebvre on the 27th. Kelly and Chicada spoke for the other priests who wrote the letter but Dolan and Barry, who were also part of the nine, were there too at the meeting. So I guess they just didn't want to speak for themselves. They're like, <laughs> Kelly and Chicago, you do all the talking. I'm not sure. And this is, I should say, all of this discussion of the meeting itself is based on Chicada's report. Lefevre was also present with this meeting, along with Williamson and Father Schmidberger, who is the superior mm, general of SSPX. Yeah, it is a wonderful name. So the meeting turned sour. They were, you know, it wasn't going very well. They were discussing, you know, the resolutions in the letter and Lefebvre wasn't really happy with it. But kind of midway through that discussion, Lefebvre noticed a seventh resolution that Chikata had added. And it was a resolution to make the resolutions legally binding. And specifically him and the nine would be able to draft up a legal contract to make sure Lefebvre stuck to his word. For fuck's sake, Cicada, come on. Yeah, he's always, he's just, he's got to, he's a stickler, you know, he's He's got to, that's just the way he rolls. According to Cicada, this last seventh resolution was designed to prevent the archbishop from following his usual practice of diplomatically feigning agreement to something and then denying it later. (laughs) He just didn't trust that guy at all. (laughs) And so when Lefebvre read this, he lost his shit or... In Chikata's more wholesome prose, he hit the roof. Ooh, nice. PG. Keeping a G, actually, not PG. Yeah, that's definitely a G, I think, hitting the roof. I mean, I don't know if hitting <laughs> is too violent for a G, but I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine. Right. And then the next part in Chikata's article, I just assume it's a bunch of random phrases that Lefebvre <laughs> used. It's kind of, it's just, this is quoted out of context, and it's all, all these phrases are just separated by ellipses. So here it is. This is Lefebvre's response. Finished. Useless. Impose on a cone your way of acting? Aggressive spirit. Accept number seven of this sheet? Go and look for some other bishop. Chikata commands. We merely give the name. Take your liberty. Enough of discussing. <laughs> so it's kind of like... <laughs> Enough of discussing. <laughs> Enough of discussing. It's kind of like... Like either he... Like did he have... As my mom would say, did he have a stroke at this point? And just it's just or I assume Chicago is just editing this. It's just very it was a very bizarre lump of text right there in the middle of this article. So obviously they kind of reached an impasse and Chicago and Kelly, they wanted to ease the tension. And so they invited Lefebvre and the other fathers over to dinner. So like, a, oh, over for dinner. I thought they were. It was, I was just assuming it was like Golden Corral Buffet or something. Oh, no, no. They, got, they had something house. special in mind. They okay. had something special in mind. Yeah. So Lefebvre was initially receptive to this, but the other two fathers were not at all. <sighs> I mean, they must have preferred a fancier restaurant like Olive Garden. Yeah, I think, you know, Chicada and Kelly just wanted to cook them dinner. Right. But they wanted to go, you know, they wanted to go out fancy. They wanted to be wined and dined. <laughs> and at this point, Williamson told Schmidberger in German 
I don't want to eat with such people. <laughs> Jeez. But then Chikata responded, careful, you never know who speaks German. So that's kind of, ooh, 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 got him. But I mean, you know, in fairness, sometimes, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, I would say, you know, the majority of the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually totally picturing the scene from the German bar from A Glorious Bastards. I mean, I guess could have gotten that violet. I'm not sure. But that was. Where does your accent come from, Chikata? That's very, you say you're German? So sadly, after this, you know, these witty retorts, Lefebvre left with Williamson and Schmidberger, hungry as can be. And Chikata opined about this moment, saying, I've often thought since then that the lawsuit might have been avoided entirely if only the archbishop had stayed for the meatloaf. <laughs> but I have a feeling the meatloaf couldn't have been good enough to convince the archbishop that, for example, he really sucked at annulling marriages. I think <laughs> I, I just don't think it would have moved him. Uh, and I just assumed he meant that they were going to a bar and grill where meatloaf was actually performing. It's Ooh. like, I would do anything for Lefebvre, but I won't do that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, that, that definitely Jeez. would have worked. That would have been a total failure. And I like, I just, for the uh, record, performing was put in quotes by Brent. So Right. Thank if you, you. Thank you. I would suggest YouTubing some of Meatloaf's later performances, and you'll understand why that was necessary. Yep. So you might have heard that I mentioned, you know, Chikata mentioned a lawsuit, which is exactly what happened, you know, a few months after this meeting, after the rest of the nine were either expelled or voluntarily left the SSPX. Lefebvre sued them over control <laughs> of the St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary, nice, which is where Sanborn was originally rector. Mm -hmm. So he was the former rector and Chikata were on the board of directors for the seminary. And so they argued that they actually owned the seminary oh. as opposed to the SSPX. Right. But Lefebvre, on the other hand, argued that the board of directors were trustees or agents, and they were operating the seminary in trust for the SSPX, who were the real owners of it. But to this, Chikata replied, real estate agent was not, as I recall, one of the duties in the prescribed instruction the archbishop read to us during the <laughs> ordination rite. <laughs> But, you know, in fairness, neither was Meatloaf Chef, you know, That's so don't true. sell yourself short. I mean, <laughs> I imagine every other role you've ever taken wasn't in there, too. Right. Um, but, you know, so maybe a little flat, but, you know, I understand. So there were a whole bunch of additional lawsuits and, you know, all this kind of rigmarole. But between all those lawsuits, about three and a half years later, SSPX and the nine or the members of SSPV, they were able to reach a settlement. And so what, you know, what was the agreement? So SSPX got control of four properties, two of which they were already occupying and two which SSPV occupied, while the SSPV got six properties, including the seminary. Ooh, what a deal. What a deal. And really, SSPV only lost two because yeah. SSPX, the two they got, they were already really had. And Chicago remarked that the two churches they gave up to the SSPX, it was actually a blessing in disguise because, quote, both the churches we agreed to turn over to SSPX were, quote, in declining neighborhoods <laughs> and the relocation allowed us to move to the suburbs. <laughs> and Chikata has a footnote clarifying this phrase, declining neighborhoods. And he clarifies that by 1987, drug dealers were operating near one of the churches at the other. An SSPX priest installed after the takeover was actually mugged. Oh my God. The horror. So, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to do the sprint. I, I know we're <laughs> in the middle of a podcast, but I forgot just, 
I, nothing is, is reminding of this, but I actually found an interesting quote from the Bible. And so I just wanted to, <laughs> to read this to you for no reason. I just I right. just thought of this. Adam. Yeah. yeah. And this is from uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there. Your heart will also be. I just thought that was interesting for no really reason kind of surrounding this. I just, for whatever reason, I felt the need to, to quote that. Um, but thinking about Chicago's remarks, you know, it says, so this is the um, NIV, which I believe is, I don't remember what that stands for. It's the NIV. New international says, version. New international version. Thank yeah. you. Someone, mm-hmm. someone here knows something about Christianity. <laughs> the uh, new international version is where this quote comes from. And it says, no moth destroys. But thinking about Chicago's remark, I clearly should be no meth destroys. I don't think the meth destroys it either. <laughs> Wait, there's no meth in heaven? Okay, I'm renouncing my faith right now. Oh, oh no, there's definitely meth in heaven. Oh, That's God. why you can do meth in heaven. Because oh, right, it won't right. destroy the treasure. <laughs> I also like how it's like that verse. It's interesting. It's like it's very pro leather, maybe, or some sort of really good quality for your purse. Like you just if you're going to have it, make sure it doesn't wear out. Yeah, you're definitely you're getting the pocketbook from heaven. Right. And it's really it's made of Corinthian letter, leather and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and I also I want to reiterate that Chicada puts declining neighborhoods in quotes in the article. <laughs> And it's like the same way you would like if you say, yeah, quote, the right sort of people live in your neighborhood. <laughs> and then also the the nine or the SSPV also had to pay SSPX three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Still cheaper than the Wiley Brooks Breatharian course. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, because, I mean, good. the debt from their purchase of that course is just it's going to take a while to pay off. And Chicago remarked that, you know, it wasn't a bad deal for six properties. And he also, quote, refrained from asking Father Williamson to throw in some frequent flyer miles. Oh, man. Because I guess Chicada paid for the properties with his SSPX credit card. I don't really get <laughs> I don't really get the joke. Yeah, it's not Amex. It's SSPX. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> now, that's a marketing slogan. <laughs> and so once that was done, really, the kind of this is when the separation between the SSPX and the SSPV becomes final. But. This wasn't the last of the kind of legal trouble that the SSPV had to deal with, because around this time, they had to deal with a kidnapping. Oh, my God. Which you didn't see coming, I bet. (laughs) And neither did I. I was really happy when I found this. Yeah. So Mary Susan Grieve, who I'm going to refer to as MSG for the rest of this podcast, because it's funny. um, (laughs) She was a nun at the St. Joseph Novitiate Convent in Round Top, New York, whose spiritual advisor was Father Kelly, who, we, hmm. you know, we, one of the nine. Right. On June 26, 1988, Grieve was kidnapped by her father, James, and her brothers, Dave, Mark, and John, who pushed her into a waiting car while she was walking with two other nuns. <laughs> this seriously deserves a 19-part Netflix documentary series. Yeah, I would love to learn more about this. Yes. Because um, there, there's only a few articles I was able to find, but it's really kind of fascinating. Yeah. So. So why did they do this? Well, the family initially went to Kelly's church, the St. Gertrude the Great, but left the church in April, the April before the kidnapping, when they researched Kelly's background and his break with the SSPX. They didn't like all that drama. Yeah. And according to the family, when the story broke, 
the story that she was kidnapped, MSG mm-hmm. was happy to be away from the convent and even mailed in her habit, which means, <laughs> which kind of officially means she renounced her association with it. Yeah. And plus it was within the 14 day window for habit return. So she got her money back. It was fine. <laughs> That's Just put good. back under her uh, SSPX card. You, yeah. Yeah. It's good that, that I, I think, uh, covenant, uh, covenant prime, I think is, you know, how you get, <laughs> how you get those extra bonus. Right. <laughs> but according to Kelly, the order had not received any package or message from MSG. So hopefully the USPS didn't just lose the habit in the mail, which I right. can, you know, I can see happening. It was probably FedEx and they delivered it to the wrong address like they did my iPhone oh, recently. So that's no good. Little blast there. So MSG in a later interview claimed she was brainwashed by the covenant. Quote, oh brainwashing is an information disease. It's when you don't have information, you don't have the whole picture. That's why I can say I was happy in the convent. I only had their side of the story. And now mm-hmm. I am happy to be back home, happier than I was, because I have the whole picture. And Kelly, for his part, countered that it was the Greaves family who brainwashed MSG. So, you know, we got <laughs> counter brainwashing. Someone's brainwashing. We don't know who. The district attorney declined to press charges unless MSG came forward to request them, which she wasn't. And Kelly later addressed the congregation directly about this incident. Because the DA wasn't going to press charges, Kelly vowed to petition the New York governor for a special prosecutor to take up the case. And Robert Mueller was unfortunately busy. So. Oh, man. What if Robert Mueller was involved in this? Yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> and Kelly even connected the kidnapping to the persecution of traditional Catholics. Quote, an atomic bomb has been dropped on the Whoa. Catholic Church. It has destroyed Catholic doctrine. It has destroyed Catholic morality. We have to continue the Catholic life. (laughs) Oh, and of course he threw in an atom bomb for good measure. You know, hundreds of thousands of Catholics were laid waste after the blast of modernism burned the flesh right off their bones. It was a disgusting sight, I'm sure, you know. And then I guess the EMT charge was like Vatican II. I don't know. We need to, I need to work on my... My atomic bomb puns. (laughs) And many in the congregation applauded Kelly, but not everyone was in agreement with his decision. Church member Dick Rentschler said, you say you want to help Mary Sue, but if the Greaves or their sons get a 10 to 20 year jail term, how is that going to help Mary Sue? Eh, his title's a church member who gives a shit. Oh yeah, just rando. (laughs) Who cares? What does he matter? (laughs) And Kelly replied that Mary Sue's problem is her family. I don't want to see them go to jail. I would probably plead for mercy, but I feel I have to do something so that the green light becomes a red light. Because now he's worried that just everyone's going to get kidnapped. Yeah, just going to kidnap left and right. And then another church member, Bernie Kunkel, said, at one time, I was quite proud of Kelly and had read his articles, but I can see no possible good by attacking the Grieve family. It's more scandal. Yes. Let them grieve. (laughs) Oh, Okay. (laughs) That's that's Sorry. where we're going. All right. <laughs> the Greaves, for their part, had a slightly different reading of the sermon. MSG, quote, thought it was ridiculous for Kelly to give the true story of how I was kidnapped, if you want to call it that, when he wasn't even there. Kelly twisted it around that I was brainwashed. I think the whole thing was pretty <laughs> sad. And then MSG's mother, Susan, added that it was strange that Kelly would, quote, announce he was saying mass for us in the morning and then say he was throwing us in jail, (laughs) (laughs) which is fair. So as I alluded to earlier, that church member Kugel, he also provided another reason why Kelly was so worried about this issue. And he said, 
that Kelly was really worried that the whole organization is falling apart around him. Hmm. And the reason he was is because he it was. (laughs) (laughs) By this time, 1988, the SSPV was really kind of hemorrhaging the original nine. Yeah. A lot of them were beginning to leave or were beginning to adopt views that would lead them to leave later. And the really the problem mostly concerned the consecration of bishops, specifically the so-called quote took consecrations performed by Gnodang Took, who Brent will be discussing in a little bit. But just kind of the getting into the transition, Archbishop Took began a series of controversial consecrations <laughs> beginning in the late 70s with the what was known as the Palmar Church in Spain, and then with the quote old Catholic Church, which is another kind of dissident branch of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And at first, the official stance of the SSPV was skepticism over these consecrations, thinking that Took had gone, quote, crazy. (laughs) So originally, they were very skeptical. They're like, we don't want anything to do with these consecrations. Yeah. But then after some flip-flopping, Chikata, Sanborn, and Dolan approved of the Took consecrations. And Sanborn and Dolan themselves became more Took bishops. They were consecrated Mm -hmm. by Took. Father Kelly, on the other hand, was consecrated by Bishop Menendez in secret in 1993, and it wasn't revealed until Mendez's death in 1995. And so then the Took bishops, so Sanborn especially, started at criticizing Menendez's consecrations in turn. So it's it's a consecration war. Yeah. There's, you know, are you are you Took or are you Menendez? It's an infestation of consecrations, if you will. Infestation of <laughs> consecration. Exactly. <laughs> But so at this point, we really need to back up because Gnodeng took as a really important figure in understanding Sedevacantism, and Brent has more information about his background. Yes. So first, we'll start with some quick backgrounds on Took. Pierre Martin Gnodeng took was born October 6th in 1897 in Hue, Vietnam. He was ordained a priest in 1925 and bishop in 1938. So gathered support for Catholic and anti-communists to back his brother, Diem, who overthrew the previous president of Vietnam and began the Republic of Vietnam. Good, good history. Good, Very good Catholic. <laughs> Very Catholic. While Tuk was in Rome during Vatican II, Diem was assassinated in 1963 during a military coup. So Tuk would remain in exile for the rest of his life. And this is part of, I think, of the explanation for why Took kind of did these consecrations. Yeah, exactly. Because he was a real big shot in Vietnam. Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of the biggest Catholic big shot. He owned a lot of property, owned a lot of companies. You know, his brother had just become president. So he was set. Yeah, he's very famous. But then his brother gets assassinated and that all kind of falls apart for him. So, however, Took was treated by the Vatican as an outcast. So Took left and served as a substitute assistant pastor in various parishes near Rome. And by the mid-70s, Took fell under the sway of Sedevacantism and began a consecration spree, as Dylan mentioned earlier, that has been controversial ever since, especially to me. It's definitely controversial to me. So here's a few of Took's views. This is from the Declaration of Archbishop Nodeng Took, written from Munich in 1982. Good year. So here they are. Here's some of these controversial views. Here they are. So on modern mass, this is a quote, but in the sight of God, how does today's church appear? Are the masses, both the daily ones and those at which people assist on Sundays, pleasing to God? By no means, because the mass is the same for Catholics as it is for the Protestants. Sorry, Protestants. Sorry, I almost threw up. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Once again, once again, just the cheapest Catholic insult in the book. (laughs) 
Yeah, actually, I wasn't aware Protestants held mass. I, I mean, they hold church services, which is yeah far superior. Just kidding. I mean, we have guitars. Um, hey, we have so, guitars too. I was so just tomorrow. there. Yep, yep. I just saw well, it. <laughs> the fake, yeah, your fake masses. I actually, I do recall. I have to say, I do recall this heat. You know, I, I've told everybody I've, I was brought up Protestant, technically, like the subcategory. I was Baptist, not Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, <laughs> Northern Baptist. <laughs> that's, not that's that's a little Baptist joke. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we're getting, we have too much Catholic humor. We need that Baptist humor too. <laughs> so I was, you know, like in junior high, I, I recall they had a, you know, a traveling evangelist come in and we also had, there was like a Christian school I attended to that was connected to the church. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, and we had a gym and sometimes we'd have events down there. And I remember they had a, the gym was set up for this guy to come and all these, you know, basically kids like we're junior high and even younger were in there. We were, um, we were locked inside actually. <laughs> you were they locked, locked the doors on us. <laughs> yes. They literally had a bishop or bishops. We call them ushers. We had ushers standing by the doors of the gym and he was running late and they wouldn't let us out. Man. And in fact, I had a girlfriend at the time that I cared more. I wasn't caring about how my, you know, I should get right with God. I was more very, very concerned about how am I going to grab her hand and hold her hand during this. <laughs> so that was very stressful to me. Um, I want to hold your hand at um, the youth church meeting. That would be a good song. I know. It was crazy. It was actually in the papers. Like, it was a big scandal for, for the 20, you know, the tiny little town I lived yeah, in. Yeah, kidnapping um, is generally frowned upon, which I think that is. Yeah, it is. The, I can't. I was thinking, too, when I was remembering this, I think a different televangelist, I do recall him in the actual the auditorium where we usually have church. And he, I remember him getting angry and getting all passionate about hell and stuff. And he threw his shoe <laughs> down the aisle. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, maybe George W. Bush is in the congregation. Oh. I'm not sure we'll know, ever know, but, uh, um, <laughs> some 2000, like two or three humor right there. Yeah. It was. So but yeah, anyway, all, back to, all uh, of that sounds more exciting than any mass I've ever been to. I just, you know, <laughs> the last true. one just had some, you know, soft guitar, no one threw any shoes. We were never locked in. So yeah, I, I'm going to have to say, I think you Baptists win on that front. So anyway, we'll get back to this. Took continues, quote, Therefore, it is displeasing to God and invalid. The only mass that pleases God is the mass of St. Pius V, which is offered by few priests and bishops, among whom I count myself. So besides this mass, which, you know, does not please God, you know, we get it. He even had to put mass in quotes just to really double down. Yeah, exactly. So there are many other things that God rejects. For example, changes in the ordination of priests, the consecration of bishops, and the sacraments of confirmation and of extreme unction, which I thought it said extreme unicorn. So that <laughs> was not unicorn. right. <laughs> that would be. Because <laughs> I, I think the extreme unction has to do with kind of the last rites before you die. Yeah. So if there was like a really rad unicorn there, I mean, right. that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Unction Junction. What's my function? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> unction Junction. There it is. So he names five here. So moreover, the priests hold to these five things, these priests in quotes, modernism to false ecumenism, three, the adoration or cult of man. Ooh. Ooh. <sighs> That's horrible. Four, the freedom to embrace any religion whatsoever. And five, the unwillingness to condemn heresies and to expel the heretics. Yeah, so, I, I mean, yeah, I that's mean, all awful. 
yeah, unable to use torture devices and kill non-believers. I, sorry, went too far back in Catholicism here. Let me scroll. No. <laughs> Duck is a traditionalist, but, you know, not a true traditionalist, like medieval yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, it, this is the society for St. Pius V, not yeah. Pope Pius I, all the way in the second century. That's really... We've got this to start true. that society. We, right. we don't have that yet. You know, one thing at a time. We're kind of slowly. Right. We were at 10 and now we're at five. Yep. We're we're slowly start backwards. rolling it back. Yep. So continuing on with this quote, therefore, in so far as I am a bishop of the Roman Catholic Church, I judge that the chair that the chair of Roman Catholic Church is vacant and it behooves me as bishop to do all that is needed so that the Roman Catholic Church will endure in its mission for the salvation of souls. Wow. So, yeah. You know, you know who it also behooves? That extreme unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Horse joke. Fuck yeah. So, <clears throat> Bishop Joseph Marie, an, quote, old Catholic priest, was very concerned about Took. But not because he was an extreme traditionalist, but rather because he was a fraud and not traditionalist enough. Man, you gotta just there's just an arms race of traditionalism here. <laughs> no. But we should also note, because you might have heard how Brent didn't say bishop, he said bishop. Yeah. And we've been struggling with this because if you go to <laughs> Joseph Marie's website, bishop is struck through. Right. He's got the strike through on the bishop. And he explains later that at the bottom of his website it says, quote, I cannot live by a double standard. What I have accurately written about other traditional clergy being prohibited from functioning with doubtful holy orders, I must also apply to myself. Oh, so you know that's kind of that's kind of nice. Yeah. He's really he's following through with his <laughs> arguments. Good, I, kind of kind of impressive. Yeah. So he describes took as quote very erratic and made all sorts of other accusations against him, claiming quote he faked a sacrament of the church, simulated saying mass. I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. So Marie continues that in the same sentiment that, you know, if he's going to do this and, you know, if he's done this once, how many more times has he simulated mass? We just don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know about you, Dylan, but this thought literally gives me chills, chills me to the bone. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, were the masses <laughs> I went to simulated? Oh, God. Like, I wonder if it's like I go in and you just enter the matrix. Like, yeah. they just hit you over the head with a <laughs> pipe and then they, like, stick the thing in the back of your neck. And then, oh, yeah, I went to mass. But it's all fake. And then you go to hell when you die. Man. Most boring matrix ever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Matrix 15 right. that they'll make in the 21st, in the 22nd century. <laughs> So some went so far as to call Took feeble-minded, you know, um, but Took wasn't without his defenders. For example, Father Martin Stepanich, I think is how you say his name, Stepanich, says a response to these claims, and I'll quote him. You would think that the anti-Took militants saw that they had no other choice but to go silent and stop their anti-Took campaign. Yet, believe it or not, they did not stop trying to discredit Archbishop Took and the Took line bishops and priests. Being the geniuses, in quotes, that they are, they had a dream. They dreamt that they could finish off the archbishop by spreading around the made-up story that he was feeble-minded and therefore incapable of using his power of consecrating bishops validly. But that didn't work. Thinking Catholics could at once object that neither Bishop Gerard de Laurier, nor Bishop Carmona, nor Bishop... Zamora complained that Archbishop Took was feeble-minded when he consecrated them. Mm. 
So, dude, I don't know. Can you imagine going through life not knowing if you were consecrated or not? It's unimaginable. It's yeah, just... their consecration could have been simulated. I mean, <laughs> oh he's simulating God. masses. Dear Lord. But this kind the of, horror. I mean, this gets to what the issue is. I mean, yeah. in the same, I mean, going back to the marriage annulment situation, there's like a list. I mean, there's in the canon law or somewhere, I assume there's a list. And it's like in order to get married, these conditions have to follow in order to consecrate a bishop. It's the same thing. And one of them is you have to be of sound mind and body, all that kind of stuff. And so right. the argument is, well, took, you know, he lost everything in Vietnam. He was basically shunned by the Catholic Church. He was basically destitute and kind of living off the kindness of others. Yeah. And so he lost his mind and started <laughs> consecrating people. And they weren't real consecrations again because he was, quote, feeble minded. I mean, this is really the main issue around all these consecrations. Yeah, it reminds me of there was an Onion article from years ago where it's like Catholic Church buys giant storage units because the Pope can't stop consecrating items. And it's just because <laughs> he's senile. <laughs> yeah, boy. You know, good times. So lastly, I'll end with Father Stepnik with him hammering home another very sick burn. So this is a sick burn. Here we go. Here's a quote. Where were the anti-Took dreamers when Archbishop Took was consecrating Bishops Gerard and Carmona and Zamora? They were in a fairway anti-Took dreamland. That's where they were. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dang. That is rough. That's messed up, man. Oh, I want to be in an anti-Took dreamland. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. I know. <laughs> Getting back to not a bishop, Marie, he expressed all of his disapproval of Took in his way too long paper, Traditional Catholics. Do your clergy possess valid orders? It's really good. You should read it. Anyway. Yeah, um, it's not too long. No, it's not too long. I made that joke well after really, really reading it. Those tracing... <laughs> So those tracing their ordinations and or consecrations back to Bishop Took are legion. This is what he's saying here. So, yeah. You know, dude, do is consecrating everyone and their mother or rather consecrating like it was going out of style because, you know, consecration was very much in style back then. It was for Took it at was. this time. So yeah, exactly. I briefly <laughs> mentioned the Palmar Church, which we'll be yeah. probably talking about in a later episode. But literally, he met these people, ordained them as priests and then consecrated them as bishops in like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> meet, meet to bishop in three weeks. I mean, that's pretty intense. That's like fire festival quick, you know. Oh, <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> stay relevant. <laughs> the anyway. fire festival of, of <laughs> Episcopal consecrations is what this is. What That's this, this title is going to be to this. No. So the bishop continues in virtue of their sheer numbers alone are drowning out the voices of those who legitimately call into question a very weighty issue with eternal consequences attached to it. Were the consecrations performed by Archbishop Took valid? It's just like the Cambrian explosion of, um, you know, consecrations at this point. It's just too much going on. Yeah, you just, it's um, like, you know, or it's like those graphs when they show like economic, <laughs> economic development, how just for thousands of years, it's like a straight line and then it just shoots right up. It's like, that's when Took was born. <laughs> And also, so, I mean, again, just to kind of reiterate, like why anyone would care about this mm -hmm. in order to make real priests, you need real bishops. Yeah. And in order to do the sacraments and to do confession and baptism and all that kind of stuff, you need real priests. Right. So, again, this is the this is the way the Catholic Church thinks about these issues. And that's why this is so important to them, mm -hmm. because, again, like really, even if you do the mass according to all the rules and you do all the other sacraments according to all the rules, 
if you're not really a bishop, it doesn't really count. It's just right. a simulation. Right. And it's all, especially for Sedevacantus and other traditional Catholics who just aren't really in step with the Catholic Church, they need to make sure that they have these bishops who are, again, supposed to be the successors to the apostles. Yeah. And in order to really be part of that church, in order to be part of the church that Jesus Christ created, you have to have real bishops. And so this is why this becomes such a fraught issue. Right. And um, speaking of doing the math, um, not a Bishop Marie helps us by doing some math here. Considering the average bishop performs one consecration in the course of his life, 15 or more consecrations in the span of six years is quite extraordinary, to say the least. So, (laughs) well, I mean, if you want. So it's I agree it is extraordinary. (laughs) But if you want bishops to perform the extraordinary right it stands to reason that their consecrations would be extraordinary as well. Yes. Yes. What What is that old <laughs> saying? Or what's that saying? It's extraordinary rights require extraordinary consecrations. <laughs> I think that is. I think. I think in the Catholic Spider-Man comics, I believe that's that's what Uncle uh, Ben says to him, if I'm not mistaken. So Bishop Marie. I'm sorry, Bishop Marie continues. He is deeply concerned and explains why this all matters. The consequences of erroneously presuming validity of orders is catastrophic with the sole exception of baptism none of the sacraments would be valid so there would be no sacramental absolution given at confession nor would the body and blood of christ be offered at mass or distributed at holy communion shit it would just be crackers and wine holy fuck and perhaps most tragically The sacrament of extreme unction wouldn't take place at the critical time of one's death when it matters. So no amount of goodwill or wishful thinking on the part of either the minister or the intended recipient could supply for this deficiency. Everyone loses. There's that extreme unicorn again. You know? Yeah, man. Extreme unicorns are very, I think I prefer a rad unicorn. Yes. You know, if I was dying, you know, tubular unicorn. Yeah, definitely. Marie writes on April 16th, 1981, Holy Thursday, Bishop Took was caught concelebrating the new mass with Bath de Freyas. Beautiful. That was great. I think that was okay. Yeah. (laughs) He had also been hearing confessions and quotes of the Vatican II church members in the same cathedral. Man. This dude, you know, he's all over the map. Plus, I, I, I don't know. I picture Chris Hansen popping up out of nowhere with the camera crew to catch a serial consecrator. Yeah. Archbishop Took, would you please sit down? (laughs) Do you know who I am? What are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Yet a mere three weeks after this event, Bishop Took had his first flirt with traditional Catholicism in consecrating Gerard de Laurier. On May 7th, 1981. And yeah, we'll be finishing up talking about good old Gerard and his interesting ideas. (laughs) So Bishop Marie explains why Took is a fraud. Quote, Paul VI excommunicated Bishop Took. Did Bishop Took ignore the excommunication? That's in quotes. On the legitimate grounds that a false pope has no power to expel anyone from the Catholic Church? Quite the contrary. Bishop Took, in fact, acknowledged the excommunication as valid. Yeah, really taking a lesson from Lefebvre here about these excommunications. (laughs) Also, I'm not sure if we spell this out in a previous episode, but a lot of these bishops are valid but illicit. Oh, okay. Which is kind of an interesting distinction here, Mm -hmm. where illicit kind of involves how... If you're a bishop, but you're excommunicated, you're still technically a bishop. 
and can still <laughs> validly consecrate further bishops, but it's illicit because you're excommunicated. Right. And so those bishops will also be excommunicated <laughs> automatically. You're just automatically excommunicated. Yeah, it's people. like a little asterisk by their bishop. Exactly. And so it's like, well, in order to really be a bishop, you have to be approved by the Pope. But then there's again, they say, well, look, if you look at code, if you look at the code of canon law, it says that we can consecrate bishops without direct approval from the Pope if it's necessary. Uh-huh, and so, yeah. again, this is part of this debate. Yeah. You know, all these traditionalist bishops will say, look, it's necessary because there really isn't a Pope um, and because they're doing Novus Ordo guitar stuff. Right. And so we have to do this. And yeah. this is another dimension of this whole ordeal. Nice. So not a Bishop Marie also expressed concerns about what Took had said during the Vatican II Council meetings. So this is what Took said, quote, why should one prescribe only one way to celebrate Holy Mass, which is solely made up of the consecration and prescribe it under punishment of suspension and even excommunication? Is that not an abuse of power? In fact, would a Paul of Tarsus have been excommunicated by Peter since he had consecrated bishops without reporting this to Peter? Ooh, that's hard. So Paul's that a big deal. is, yeah, that's, woo, that's some hot stuff there. So not a Bishop Marie is, you know, he's beside himself and he writes this in response to this in this, then the um, article that I was mentioning earlier. So is Bishop Took here arguing that instead of following the custom of deep reverence and receiving the precious blood and body of our divine Lord, we should rather sit and consume his precious body and blood with chopsticks in the same <laughs> manner that we would eat chop suey? I don't. <laughs> oh my God. Why? Why? <laughs> I mean, you you may think it's racist, yeah. But Took is from Viet, you know, because he's from Vietnam. But you, but you would be wrong. It's actually a great idea. We could turn the mass into a sushi bar with the body of Christ being the sashimi wrapped in a bed of <laughs> swaddling clothes, aka seaweed. Um, <laughs> dip that a little bit in some soy, and, which I don't know what that also is. Also, great idea for a nativity scene. I have to say, yes, <laughs> sushi nativity. I'm into it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, this is like a, like a sushi like a sushi boat. You could just have that as a uh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I don't get why this just seems like obviously a bad rhetorical move to just go yeah. straight to the racism. I don't know why straight to racism. You could have made a happy meal joke. A lot of other set of a contest make that kind of you know joke. And okay, we all get that. But yeah, I was with you here. Not a bishop, Marie. I was totally with you. And then you had to. Go into this deep, dark territory. <laughs> he did. So let's switch gears here and let's hear a little bit, you know, a little bit from our favorite um, Sakata Consecrata, <laughs> Reverend Anthony Sakata. <laughs> In all fairness, uh, Anthony Chicata is not a bishop, valid or invalid. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. So. Here's his quote. Traditional Catholics who discuss Archbishop Took's subsequent activities in the traditional movement seem to fall into two opposing camps. The first group canonizes him by portraying him as a valiant hero who consistently rejected all the errors of the post-conciliar church. The second group insults him by painting him as an old fool who lacked enough presence of mind to confer a valid sacrament yeah exactly you know cuts took some slack here his brother was murdered he was exiled from his country come on reel back yeah also it should be mentioned (laughs) that one of the people who called him an old fool was chikata himself in 1983 (laughs) he wrote a lovely title article two bishops for every garage in which he criticized uh took you know er earlier in his consecration spree 
And as Michael Jackson taught us, we have to start with the man in the mirror. That's right. I think, you know, that's that's what we have to do. <laughs> so Sakata continues, both groups are wrong. One on one hand with Archbishop Took did say the traditional mass. He was hardly another Athanasius, you know, Athanasius. That's a Catholic joke. It's an inside joke. Okay. Athanasius the Great was an old beloved from 300 CE. The, you know, people called him the pillar of the church, but, you know, whatever. Man, that's some inside baseball right that there. Is, you got yeah, me stumped. That is insider. So his actions and his statements on the situation in the church were like Archbishop Lefebvre, often contradictory and mystifying. And like Archbishop Lefebvre, he too apparently accepted a deal with the Vatican and later changed his mind. You know, mind changing sure does sound a lot like something like a modernist guitar loving crypto Lutheran would do, though, you know? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, someone else who changed their mind. Yep. Was the, who was that? Who was that traditionalist Catholic who wrote Two Bishops for Every Garage? Oh, I forget wait, his that name. That was Chicada. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not a Bishop Marie wrote. He wrote about this as, in fact, before Anthony Cicada was pro Took, he was anti Took. And he published a highly critical article, which you mentioned earlier. So, yep. Again, I'm pretty sure it's perfectly okay for a Catholic to have a mirror. And so maybe he should have a few in his house. Right. So on the other hand, theological zigzagging and errors of practical judgment prove only that a given archbishop, take your pick, is human and fallible. Unlike the Pope. Wait, the Pope is human, right? I consider human. I don't. (laughs) Well, the Pope has to be human. But since the quote unquote Pope is probably a Freemason, he's probably much more likely a reptilian. I think that's a good point. So they do not prove that he's lost the tiny mental minimum, which the church says makes his sacraments valid. (laughs) I I don't want to be a backseat theologian, but I would hope, you know, the consecrating of bishops, that's really important, need to have those apostolic successors. So maybe it would take a little bit more than a tiny mental minimum to, to consecrate bishops. I would I would hope, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's an extraordinary tiny mental minimum, though. Oh, so, I got that's you. How, that's okay. a loophole there. Yep. Big things, little packages. Got it. <laughs> so we could spend a whole podcast talking about Took, honestly. I cannot recommend enough reading the article written by Nada Bishop Marie on Took. It is truly a laugh riot. It was good. Mm. Yes, a laugh riot. So let's end <laughs> on Took by hearing the final word from father and sick burn artist Stepanik. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the quote. For all anti-Took agitators who have kept stirring up the storm of controversy over the Took consecrations and against the Took bishops and priests, the message has long been loud and clear. Peace. Be still. Damn. How is he going to survive? He needs some burn heal for that. (laughs) Lordy be. Lordy Lord. All right. So, yeah, that's enough for uh, Took. And so now we've mentioned him a few times, but... Probably his most creative consecration was for uh, Michel Louis Gerard de Laurier. And I think Brent also has some more information on him as well. Yeah, we'll briefly discuss him. Gerard de Laurier was a professor at the SSPX seminary, but was removed by Lefebvre in 1977 for teaching sedevacantism. And Lefebvre was a sellout even back then. I know. He further developed his thesis into a midway point between SSPX and SSPV, known as Seda Privationism, or the Cassiacum thesis. But who doesn't know that already? So the popes, in quotes, were neither popes nor anti-popes, but 
sort of half popes, only being popes formally, but not materially. This hideous holy creature was only infallible half of the time. That's what I'm thinking. But <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I think just he kind of said, look, he was elected in the right way, but he didn't have the right beliefs, I think, basically. And so you get the half. He right. was legitimately elected. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But he doesn't have the right beliefs or he happened to be a heretic or whatnot. So, again, half pope. Yeah. And so Cicada explains, I'll quote him here. Father Gerard, however, wandered off into the dense underbrush of obscure philosophical speculation. Oh, God, that that black hole. And after hundreds of pages emerged with the conclusion that John Paul II is the pope, quote, materially, but not formally. The limitations of space make it impossible either to recap his arguments or to explain in any great detail what his conclusion means, save to say that, in his opinion, John Paul II is the Pope in one sense and in another sense is not. I understand this, you know, exactly what he means, and I also do not understand a word he just said, but that's... Yeah, that's that <laughs> seems right. <laughs> So Cicada considered Father Gerard an important theologian and philosopher. According to Cicada, he also played an important role in the writing of the, you got it? Ottaviani Intervention. Nice. Yeah. I like the Intervention too. I knew you were going to nail it. <laughs> Cicada writes, quote, in fact, he served as a visiting professor at Archbishop Lefebvre's seminary in Econ, Switzerland, where he taught the tracks of Mariology and the last things. His last academic year was 1976 to 77. You know, I thought, <clears throat> I was reading this, I thought he was saying Marioology, like mm. the study of Mario Brothers. So I don't know. <laughs> um, I assume too, also, if you get your undergrad degree in last things, you cannot get your master's because you've literally covered everything. <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, well, maybe you, you get your undergrad in last things, but then your doctorate right. in the first things. And so you kind of do it backwards. <laughs> Oh, a little back. Yeah, a little. Yeah. So you talk about, you know, the creation. Right. For your doctorate. Concerned that the new consecrations of popes were invalid, he sought Dr. Heller and Hiller, who were harboring Took, so Gerard could be consecrated. Yeah, the Dr. Heller and Dr. Hiller, which is their real names. Right. (laughs) They were kind of big sede vacantists, and they were one of the places that Took ended up. They took in archbishop took uh-huh. um and actually there's i would have loved to have talked about it we just didn't have the space yeah but the sspv crew before they were pro took or at least before some of them were went to visit dr heller and hiller to learn more about the took consecrations and they were thoroughly unimpressed <laughs> with these two characters <laughs> at the time uh so yeah so it's real fun they agreed but only if gerard gave up set of privationism for full-on set of contism which he agreed to being consecrated in 1981 you know he was sneaking off though late at night you know set of privationing and dark alleys if you know what i mean <laughs> but shortly after consecration he reverted to his set of privation ways you know it's a flip-flopper alert you know flip-flopper again Flip-flopping. That's a, you know, sick 2004 political burn right there. We're, we're getting into the... the yeah, the, he's he's era. the uh, he's the swift boat veterans <laughs> of traditional Catholicism. <laughs> and by the way, this is going to happen again in the future. This is a pretty common thing where... Because once you're consecrated, it's kind of, all right, that's it. You know, you can do what you want. It's kind of like getting tenure. And so this, this won't be the last time someone is consecrated a bishop and then like does a flip-flop. It's unfortunately very common. Yeah. He entered a polemical spat with Sedevacantus, including Hiller and Hiller, and took. 
damn he became a schismatic to the schismatics actually yes. so that, that's that's some extreme skin that's just what happened with this whole thing <laughs> yeah. you know yeah it, it didn't last too long because he, he died pretty shortly after or he died in 1988 at the ripe old age of 90 oh young chicken yeah young chicken didn't have enough time for the schism to really fully fester unfortunately <laughs> And so that is it for this episode. So, Brent, what did you learn? What most fascinated you about all of these colorful characters? I'll tell you, the 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 kidnapping was that one really yeah. just came out of nowhere. And, you know, at first it's very PG and very kind of kind of dry, like, you know, cicadas, very rated G insults. And then all of a sudden, boom, kidnapping. So <laughs> that was nice. And <laughs> it's like, well, OK. And obviously the the not a bishop uh, Marie's is uh, the article there was it's very fun to read I encourage viewers to go find that I'm sure we'll put it on the source pages and yeah it's hilarious the, the things he says are really funny laughed out loud multiple times so yeah that what about you yeah. what did you learn so the kidnapping definitely caught me off guard <laughs> yeah. and I was so happy when I found that I was just <laughs> again newspapers.com really helpful yeah. for that and I just you know, it was mostly boring articles about the lawsuit and about all that kind of stuff. And it's like, bam, kidnapping. Wonderful. <laughs> I also love the Took story. Yes. Just, you know, his I'm really interested because I remember I knew about DM. Mm -hmm. I read a book a few years ago. It was a nice paperback. It was just kind of all of our all the United States is kind of foreign adventures to oh, put it okay. lightly since like the late 19th century. Right. And it talked about Vietnam and it talked about, you know, the CIA having a role in having DM mm -hmm. assassinated yeah. basically. And so it was interesting reading the took story and then recognizing, Oh man, it's connected to this other story. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just such a big deal. And just him kind of the, the sadness of what happened to him. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, how sad can you be? I mean, he was, you know, he was a man in power yeah. and he was, he partly had the power he had for illegitimate reasons but he was really destroyed after this. Right. I mean, he couldn't go back to Vietnam. He lost everything. He just had to live in poverty for the rest of his life, basically. And he just consecrated everybody. Yeah. That was kind of how he went <laughs> just, out. Yeah, it's his yeah. coping mechanism, his healing mechanism. He had to go yeah, that's, consecrate. Yeah, that's how he copes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is it. Nice. And that is the end of uh, part three. Yeah. So we will be um, I will be joining you in about an hour to do some live stream editing. Ooh. Again, that's every 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll be on the chat on Sundays yeah. and Brent will be there, too. And you can find us on YouTube if you just type in none dare call it ordinary. And you can also find a link to that as well as a link to all the sources we use for this episode, as well as our most current episode of the podcast. You can find all of that information on none dare call it ordinary dot com. And, you know, if you like something, if you didn't like it a lot, maybe, you know, are you pro-took? Are you anti-took? <laughs> Let us know. Send us an email at nonedarecalletordinary at gmail.com. And with that, we are done! Go took yourself. <laughs> 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 <laughs>